I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram's a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram Ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We are joined by one of the best researchers of Enneagram Insights in the world, the inimitable Cambry Ross. Hello, hello. Hey, welcome. Thank you. And this is our intro to typing. And so if you stumbled on this, it's either because you're looking for something to hand to a friend or somebody handed this to you because who searches Enneagram on their own? <laughs> Nerds, that's who. <laughs> Guilty. The introspectives. <laughs> We love, love, love the Enneagram, and we're going to do our best to create uh, space for you to see why, to see it, and see yourself through these glasses. Um, Enneagram's about what you want. It's about just giving a name to what you want, and once you find that name, you can do all sorts of fun things with it. So that's our purpose. That's our goal. If you can see through this podcast... Um, here is a name for what motivates me most. That's the win. And that's where we're going. So this is often called typing. You're going to try to find your type, specifically your motive and how that motive makes you a certain type of person who's motivated in a certain way. So that's the goal, finding your type. We're going to do just a little bit of background on the Enneagram just to, to set the stage so that you know what you're jumping into. The long story short, Enneagram suggests that there's only nine big motives and that each of us have just a primary motive, a single motive that really influences who we are, what we do, how we see the world. So for example, TJ, who is our Enneagram expert, once you know your type, then what? What can, what can you do with this knowledge? Well, I think all kinds of things. Um, one of the things that I love about the Enneagram is that it names your motive, not your behavior. Uh, it's it's why we do the things that we do, not what we do. And it's it's a lot easier to change your behavior when you're aware of what's driving it. So if there are things in your life that you can't get, you, you can't figure out how to fix, how to get behind, why why you're acting this way in these situations, the Enneagram can help you figure that out. And that is the best possible way to get to addressing the behavior is to start addressing the motive. What's been your experience, Camry? I agree 100% with what TJ said. I also believe that the Enneagram helps us have more compassion for other people, realizing that other people see things in a different lens than we do in a different way, and realizing that all of those perspectives are good. They're not Bad. It's not bad that somebody else sees differently than we do. It can actually be really helpful. And we can draw from these other people and from these other types things that can help us change our behavior uh, 
get the things that we want. Excellent. A helpful tool as you're listening to this would just be a piece of paper and a pen. Sometimes you can just write down some of the language that we're using. What you're going to hear as we go through this episode is a lot of numbers, and the numbers represent motive and the big motives that each of us have. So if you can write down words that stand out to you or particularly the types, the numbers that we mentioned that stand out to you, that can be real helpful. And by the end of the episode, uh, we'll tell you what to do with the types, with the numbers that you wrote down. So before we get into this, let's talk about some basics about discovering your type. Um, TJ, how would you describe discovering your Enneagram type? Well, there's there's a couple of things behind it. Like we keep saying, this is about motive. Uh, so so we're going to look at what drives our behavior, what what things are at the base of why we do the things that we do. And one of the things that, that comes out of this material is that y- you might feel pretty exposed. You might feel like there's there's someone knowing something about you that you don't want people to know. And if you feel that way, that's probably a path you need to start going down because that, that probably means we're naming something about you. Uh, so, so that's one of the big things about finding your type uh, is if it hurts, pursue it a little bit more. You have thoughts on that camera? Yeah. Lean into the hurt. <laughs> it's always helpful. Um, I would also say that discovering your type is kind of like getting a glasses or a contact prescription where you see one and they, you think to yourself, do I see well through this prescription or this lens? And then you see another one and you're like, oh, maybe I see better through that one. And you go back and forth between the two and see which one really fits you the best. Um, And it's okay to try on different hats. It's okay to try on different prescriptions. It's okay to figure out which one it is. Spend some time in other types. That time can be really useful. If you are spending time in self-discovery and spending time in looking at your motives and looking at yourself through a different way than you've ever looked at yourself before, that's really valuable uh, time spent. Right. And I would also add, uh, offer yourself a lot of grace. Yes. It's like we said, this might hurt a little bit and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with the way that you see the world, but it might feel like it is. So give yourself some space, give yourself some compassion to seeing yourself a little bit more clearly. My favorite illustration for finding your type is it's as though there's a map and what we're going to be doing is just trying to find yourself on the map. The glasses contact lens analogy really works for me as well. It's like finding what are the lenses through which I'm looking and can I put a name to those lenses? Or for me, it's like just finding yourself on a map. And a lot of what we're going to be doing in this podcast is just pointing out all the places on the map and asking you, do you identify with what's going on? I would also add to the map analogy where it's helpful to be able to see this is where I want to go, but this is the road I've been going down for a long time. So I should probably turn around and it gives a really good prescription in a way it can help you with very direct, doable, actionable things to get where you want on that map. Yeah, as TJ said, 
uh, Enneagram can expose some of the dark sides of our personality. It also can illuminate and highlight some of the best parts of our personality, I suppose, as well. Yeah, Cameron? Yeah, 100%. Bang. Well, on that front, say it's the case we're looking for ourselves. What are, uh, TJ, where are some clues to look for? Well, we're going to talk about uh, uh, several different um, sort of main aspects of types and uh it, it all comes down to motive, but there's also going to be uh, some things like how you interact with other people, how you uh, argue with other people, how you, how you behave when you don't get the things that you want. And uh, these are all, it, it's, it's a lot of behavior-based conversation, but remember that it's always coming back to why you're behaving like that. Uh, so there's going to be some, some main sort of avoidances, like things that each type avoids. There's going to be some some groupings of uh, how we see time and how we how like I said, how we how we fight. And and so so looking for those clues, looking for what you're like when you're around other people, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're with your family, all of these things these behaviors might be different in different settings, but the reason behind them will be consistent throughout. And that reason will be consistent throughout your life as well. Do you have anything to add, Kim? Yeah. A lot of people tend to think that your type can change throughout your life because your behavior changes throughout your life, but your type does not change. So looking at what I've been like most of the time my whole life is a really good way to look at things. And not and just like TJ was saying, not just one sphere of your life, not just one sphere of your life, not just looking at how I am at work or how I am at home, it's how you are in every single aspect in every single thing that you do. It should there should be a pattern. And if you're really struggling with this, one of the things that, that helps to bring this forward is to think about what you were like when you were 20. If, if you're a little bit older than 20, then you've developed some, some habits, some your, parts of your personality have been strengthened in, in different ways. But when you were 20, your, uh, your motive was sort of most at the forefront. So think about and, what you were like then. And it was untainted, right. I would say, by the world. You were just pure, in a way, free, almost, <laughs> okay with being your true self. For good Maybe or bad. Everybody. Yeah. 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 Any last words on kind of a posture when coming to hearing the descriptions of each of the types? Uh, I would emphasize uh, the idea of putting on different glasses. Um, you're, you're finding yourself on this map and you might have to try out a couple of different locations first and that's okay. Uh, spend some time with a number that feels strongest, and when you find out that maybe that's not right, that's okay. Move to a different, move to a different type. Uh, I would also say it's really, really, really important that you are doing this for yourself. This is not an opportunity for you to decide what your spouse is like, or what your parents were like, or what your children was were like. It is imperative that we are all typing ourselves and we are not typing other people. Yeah. I would also say if you're having a hard time pinning down your type, which again, that's totally fine and everything. No one type is better than another. Even if you have averse reactions to certain types, because you will, 
that doesn't make one type better than another. And if you are a type that you don't want to be, that is okay. And that's actually sometimes a good indicator that you are that type. Um, another helpful thing is that sometimes you might need more self-awareness. And so you might need to go through your life and take things that you've decided to do or not to do and ask yourself why, and then ask yourself why again, like peeling layers of an onion. You just keep going and going and going and going until you get to the core that makes you cry. So do that with multiple things often. And soon enough, you'll see a pattern that will line up with one of the Enneagram motivations or fears. Jeff is just busting up laughing. <laughs> that's our, that's our, uh, Goal here is to make you cry. So just, <laughs> just be glad you push play on that podcast. Um, well, we're going to jump into this. We're going to name nine motives. Each of them uh, are just designated by a number. And we're just going to ask the question, what's it like to be? What's it like to be a one? What's it like to be a two? And because Cambry is the specialist in all things Enneagram research, we're going to turn to her to, to tell us not only what her opinion is on each of the types, but she has quotes from each of the types describing what it feels like to be uh, each of the numbers. So we're going to start with the number one. Uh, apparently that comes first when doing numbers. <laughs> and so, Camry, uh, what's, what's it like to be a one? Okay. Uh, one of the quotes says, in unhealth, I notice mistakes and systemic issues and fixate on them. This usually comes off as seeming angry about something when there is actually a deeper issue I need to address that is completely unrelated. I am constantly monitoring myself so I don't come off as controlling or judgmental, even though I judge constantly and crave autonomy and control. When I'm feeling secure, I'm spontaneous and fun-seeking, and I can laugh off issues that would otherwise frustrate me. When I'm stressed, it feels like I'm the only one who cares. I avoid things I could fail at. I care less about being good or right than I do about not being wrong. What do you hear there, TJ? That last line is the one that sticks out to me the most about ones. Uh, there's, there's a deep desire to be free of corruption or defect within ones. Ones are often described as sort of perfectionistic and, and there's, there's a sense of the order of the universe and trying to get things in order. And all of that stems from this desire to, to be sure that they are free of, of defect, that they're not corrupted, that they're not evil, that, that they are, they're doing the right thing. That's why I hear also there's a lot of earning here. There's a lot, if I do things well enough, then I'll get what I want. If I'm good enough, then things are probably going to work out. And that's central to how a lot of ones see the world. You got another quote for us? Yep. Another one says, I struggle with saying yes to too many things. I struggle with feeling overwhelmed that I can't be good at everything. I shine at leading and teaching. Yeah, ones are often often great teachers. And be, uh, part of this is because they want to help other people be be their best, be uh, fit into the order of the universe. And if, if you're all good, then you, then it's bad to say no, obviously. Right. The thing that stuck out to me most was that this person started with the critique of themselves. 
which is <laughs> yeah. often a quality of ones. It's before I tell you anything important, let me just tell you that I know I messed that whole thing up. And let me tell you that I know that here are the things, here are the five things that are really bad about me. But I'm a great teacher and speaker. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> and uh, myself being a one, I catch myself in that rhythm all the time of, hey, we should talk about something. But before we start, here's where what I screwed up and I just need to make it known. And then we can move on. And you're a teacher. <laughs> and I am a teacher. I've been hoping to, I, I love, what, what, I don't know what the, what is it about ones that ones want to be teacher, TJ? Well, they, uh, like I was saying, they, they want to improve things. They, they want to make things better because there's, if, if everything is in order, then everything is working the way it should be. And if I can help you become the best version of yourself, then the world is put a little bit more into order. I like that. I suppose it's the case that ones also often rely on systematic thinking. And teaching can often have that element. Let me tell you about the framework for history or math or philosophy, whatever it is. And this is a place that ones often thrive is I have a system for getting all the things done, whether it be calendars with color coding or whether it be, you know, here's my theology or it's just here's how, I don't know what another example would be. That's all I care about is calendars and theology. <laughs> And that's well, aren't, okay. <laughs> aren't you a philosophy teacher? Yeah, and I am. Or, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's here's my philosophy of life that I've really tried to internalize, and I have just five principles that when I obey these five principles, generally everything else works, and so I'm really committed to those. And that just seems like a very – that's a way that ones can often process the world is I'm, I'm figuring out a system by which I order my life. So if that describes you, you might be a one. You got any more quotes for us? Yeah, I have one more. I truly believe honesty and integrity more than any other values in this world. It's about living a moral and ethical life, and shortcuts are just poor choices. I have a strong inner critic that's always demanding perfection. So one of the things that we'll see about ones is is this desire to live a good life. Uh, oftentimes, they're good little boys and good little girls that follow the rules. And uh, this can also turn into, uh, I said perfectionistic earlier, this can turn into this perfectionistic kind of of living that is also that can also be prescriptive. They They expect themselves to be, to follow the, all the rules, and they expect you to follow all the rules as well. And they can become sort of demanding in that way of everyone else around me needs to be following the rules. They can be great teachers, or they can also be uh, pharisaical. I do like the word pharisaical here. When ones get unhealthy, it can be obvious to them what the right thing to do is, and they're trying real hard. But these other people are not, and that materializes as frustration, and that can be a very common attribute of a one who's not in a not in a good spot. So a lot of the types, when typing, there's kind of a clue. There's kind of something that each of the types have that's kind of very common to their type. And for ones, it is an inner criticism or even an inner critic. Uh, many ones will describe the sense that somebody is telling them how badly they have done something or how bad they are, or maybe it's just this overwhelming feeling 
of, man, I could have done this better. I could be a better person. And that's real common with ones. Um, so what, what do you have one saying about the inner critic there, Cambry? So this one person says, before I knew the Enneagram in my late teens and early 20s, I would challenge myself every once in a while to try to spend just a single day only doing things I should do and not doing anything that I shouldn't do. These challenges always led to a lot of very loud self-criticism because my definition of right or wrong was so rigid and I could never succeed. So setting yourself up for failure pretty much every time. Gaining value by how good you are. And of course, if you're not doing good, then there's going to be a severe feeling of perhaps failure or inadequacy of defect. It's probably more, that's actually what it is, more mm -hmm. defect. Mm -hmm. Well, and ones generally have a very high standard for themselves. So not only are they trying to live up to this standard, but it's a high standard at that. So it's tough. It's tough to be a one, I'd say. <laughs> well said. Let's move on to the twos. Um, so what are, we're going to start with our first of three quotes coming from the heart mind of a two describing themselves. This two says, I like loving people and loving them well. Remembering little details about people that make them feel seen and known gives me a rush. I'm always taking note of mood and body language. You catalog a lot of behavior from others. Strangers and kids trust you quickly, but it's hard to feel like your feelings get hurt a lot. And disappointment is a pretty familiar feeling. I'm always worried that I love people way more than they love me, but I also know that I love hard. So topping that would be a lot. This is a great quote that is all about other people, just like twos. Twos are <laughs> so focused on other people all the time. And Describe yourself. Well, let me tell you about other people. Yeah. <laughs> or let me tell you about my family. And, and these are uh -huh. the people who, who know me and who love me. And the emphasis is always on other people. My beloved grandfather, I believe, was a two, and that's exactly how he would introduce himself. Here is my family, who's from Colorado, and they care about me, is essentially what he wanted to establish with the new person that he was meeting. And uh, we have a friend who, when she invites people into her house, will show them all the pictures of her family because she wants the newcomer to know these are the people that care about me. Relationship, value, very much tied to who in my life cares about me. And who have I earned that affection from? Second quote. Another two says, I see the world through the lens that everyone else is well-intentioned, but they will always assume my intentions are bad. I'm a daily recovering people pleaser who just wants to love people so well that I often forget to love myself that same way. I feel what others are feeling more than I feel my own feelings. More than anything, I want people to approve of me. Again, a, a big focus on other people here. Uh, the thing that stands out to me is is the term people pleaser. So in that focus on other people, twos are, are very capable of reading the mood, the feelings, the needs of others and working really hard to fulfill those needs, to, to meet people where they're at, to, to try and provide and, and help and and be be valuable to other people. And when that goes badly, twos will often will sometimes be described as sort of clingy or um, or or pushy. Like 
because they are so focused on meeting other people's needs, they can sometimes not recognize when their help is not needed. Or they'll hyperfixate in order to get it. Like if they are feeling so unneeded and so unloved and unwanted, they might really, really lean into helping and serving other people to get, because that's, that's what they need. They need love. They need to feel wanted. And so they might lean really hard into that, not realizing that that could push others away. Right. If we were to put out a characteristic that I think a lot of twos share, like ones have the inner critic, it may be that the people pleaser side or Mm -hmm. the constant focus on relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that lots of numbers affirm relationships, desire relationships. It seems like twos find themselves focusing quite a bit on their relationships and how they can do something for the people in their life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Last quote on twos. Okay. And this one actually goes along with that where it says, they say, I want to be wanted so bad. It hurts not in a romantic way always, but by friends, coworkers, I know it isn't healthy, but embodying and understanding my worth without being of help to others is so difficult. I wish people understood that asking my advice and for my help isn't asking too much. It is helping me to feel loved and a sense of belonging. I think this, uh, the thing that stands out to me here is that um, the potential for twos to be taken advantage of. So mm-hmm. on, on the good side, twos want people to ask them for help. Twos want to be wanted in that way, and they want to offer that. And on the bad side, twos won't say no, so you can just keep asking them. I would say as well, the part about having worth without being helpful to others, twos have a hard time seeing their value outside of being helpful. Mm-hmm. They have a hard time realizing that there's this intrinsic value versus what I do and how I help others. And that can be a really difficult, like some of the other quotes as well mentioned the idea of I'm helping these people because I want them to help me in a way, but I also am helping them so much that I forget to help myself and I forget to care for myself. Mm -hmm. And so there's this other focus, but it also kind of spins back around where you're wanting people to do the same thing for you, like treat others how you would want to be treated kind of mentality. This is a good place to pause, dear listener, and to notice what we're doing. What we're doing is offering you two sets of glasses. Here's the glasses marked one. Here's the glasses marked two. Try them on. Do either of these showcase how you see the world? Say it's the case that you're listening and you're like, well, the one's kind of close, and you kind of write that number down. The two, not so much. You can go ahead and skip that. What we're going to do in the future is release nine podcasts on each of the types, going further into these quotes, further into the description of the types. And so at the end of this podcast, you'll have your sheet, you'll have written down a couple numbers, and then just jump forward, jump into those other podcasts, take a listen, see if those glasses make sense to you. And that's finding your type. And once you find your type, you can do all sorts of great things with it in terms of asking questions about yourself and where you're going. So, and that's mostly what our podcast is about. So we're jumping to the threes now. Uh, What's your first quote about the threes? So the question of what it's like to be a three, this three says, it's really rough. 
I tend to take on as much as I physically can because it's the way I can prove to others that I'm worthy. I'll say yes to doing things for others so that that way I can make them happy and sacrifice my peace in the midst of it. I want to achieve the goals prescribed for a quote unquote good life. I see the world and my life as a place that can always be better. There is something to always get done and be improved upon. I struggle finding a place where I actually feel like I belong because most of the time I find myself in places where I'm not acting like myself, only what those people want me to be. I shine under the spotlight and under pressure. What do you hear there, TJ? So I think this is a great opportunity to point out how similar some of the types are. So a lot of what was said in that quote will sound an awful lot like some of the quotes that we heard from twos. But notice that there there is an emphasis on the self within the threes, uh, almost as though the others are sort of a means to an end. And there's a focus on how I am perceived as opposed to how other people are doing. thing I heard there as well is the real focus on goals and goals and achievements and really finding your value in those places is going to be a big thing for threes. What's our next quote? Our next three says, I view everything and I mean everything as a competition, even if my only competitor is myself. In every interaction with others, I am constantly putting out feelers to gauge how other people are responding to me. And a positive or negative response to something I say or do corresponds in my mind to people's opinion of me as a person. I am a problem solver and try to avoid bringing feelings into conflict. And of course, I want to succeed at everything I try. The word succeed there is the key to the threes, I think. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a great, great need to be seen as successful. And even more than that, to not ever be seen as a failure. So they will work really, really, really hard to make sure that you see them as successful as good at whatever it is they're doing. And that means they're competitive. That means they're goal-oriented. That means they're constantly working to make sure that you see them as achieving the thing that they're aiming at. I don't know if this would be the clue that all threes share, but I heard something recently that was helpful for me in understanding the heart of the three, and that was the people around me, said the three, are often like mirrors telling me if I am valuable or not. I can't see myself on my own, but if I can see my value through what they say about me, I know that I'm valuable. And that comes out in the pursuit, not just of accomplishments, but the pursuit of praise, the pursuit of you did this uh, well and at a high level. And getting that kind of attention is really about, am I a valuable person or not? It's deep. I like that. You got a last quote for the three, Sarah Cambry? Yep. So this three says, I'm generally an optimist that sees opportunity to do this or to do that, for example. I do not work well with limitations and dislike when I am told that I'm not allowed to pursue something. While it may be cultural, there is this type of hustle mentality that overhangs me. I have to be mindful to set healthy boundaries between rest and productivity. I like to think of myself as a huge supporter and cheerleader for those I love around me. 
like the word opportunity there, like yeah. seeing everything as an opportunity. Yeah, threes are really great at, uh, because they always want to be seen as successful, threes are really great at turning anything into a positive. Uh, so how how do we spin this this story into something that is that is successful? How do we avoid the the appearance of failure and 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 turning and pivoting to make sure that 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 image is always presented that there's always a positive side to these things and we just have to find it and work for it something here about success it's not just the three themselves experiencing success but wanting the people who are close to them to also be successful and so the language of cheerleader is worthwhile here a lot of times threes will elevate others because they can live vicariously through the success of the people who are closest to them, perhaps their students or their children, um, their friends. If I can elevate others, that reflects well on me as, as, as well. And that even works for the institutions that they are a part of. So, yes. so their their workplace, their their family unit, not just the people in their family, but but how do we make this thing that I'm a part of look as good as possible. A lot of threes are also motivational speakers or want to be motivational speakers, just hanging on to the cheerleading and motivating, uplifting other people is very interesting for threes. Yeah. Perfect. Well, again, on your sheet of paper, if this is really hitting you, this is how you see the world. Write down threes. If not, we're moving on to the fours. Uh, what's your first quote from fours, Cambry? Okay, so this four says what it's like to be a four. It is complex, overthinking, sensitivity in all its forms, connection, criticism. I see the world through my heart. My highs are higher and my lows are lower. I constantly wonder if others are having a better, more authentic experience than I am. I worry I am missing out on everything, including what it's like to be my truest self. I wonder how everyone else is able to make connections and enjoy their lives and make friends when it feels so difficult for me. There is a lot there to unpack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want to focus on the highs are higher and lows are lower and the, um, the feeling that other people are having a better, more authentic experience. So, so fours are so in touch with the uh, fullness, the individual uniqueness, the, the beauty of each individual moment, each individual person, each individual thing in the whole universe. And they want the fullness of the whole spectrum. So the good can be so much more good. The bad can be so much more bad. And we they want to have the full experience. They want to be in the highest emotions. They want to be in the lowest emotions. And they want to make sure they are having the most authentic, truest experience of themselves, of the world around them. Well, and I would say as well, they're wanting those dynamics to be so big and so dynamic, I guess, that there's also this aversion of the middle. Yes. You don't want the middle. The middle is boring. The middle is un uh, the middle is uninteresting. And normal. Yes. Yeah. So avoiding that and wanting the highs and the lows because those are interesting. Yeah. 
Sometimes the types are seen not in just what they say, but in how they say it. And this <laughs> quote is very poetic, very insightful about the depths of this person's thought life, how they process, and it's put out in beautiful language. And that in and of itself is a, is commonly how fours see the world, very in touch with themselves, very attuned to the artistic qualities of their self-expression. Um, second quote. I see the world as something so beautifully broken, and the only way to fix it is to love it. I struggle with reality and feeling as if I belong. Anytime I finally feel accepted, I naturally withdraw, thinking that something good couldn't possibly be real. Something that makes me stand out is my creative outlook on life and always looking for the flower in dark soil. I thrive in creating and doing hands-on projects, yet I always have trouble following through with my ideas. I want someone to love and for them to love me more than anything, and I avoid people or things that will hurt me. I really like that phrase, beautifully broken. I think that encapsulates uh, what we were talking about a moment ago with the highest highs and lowest lows and, and not really settling for the middle. What I heard was a lot of romantic longings in this language, which I think characterized the heart of a four and how they process the world. Um, that that's the filter that kind of comes up is there's, there's everything is kind of filtered through that sense of idealism on in that romantic way. Mm-hmm. There was also language here of getting of of desiring to get out of their imagination and into activities, and that also can characterize fours. It characterizes some other numbers as well, but that's certainly true of fours. Mm-hmm. I would say as well with the poeticism and the high highs, low lows, and everything. Other types generally see fours as dramatic or a lot or too much. And so if you've been told that you are those things, this might be something to take note of. Yeah. This number might be something to take note of. Not that, that you're dramatic, but maybe. <laughs> that, that could be our clue. Our clue for you might be a four if. Yeah. Uh, last quote for the fours. Okay. This four says... I see the world with empathy and curiosity and definitely find myself focusing on wonder and pain, both mine and others. I struggle because my sensitivity, while frequently a gift, can leave me feeling very vulnerable. It's hard for me to let people know when they've hurt me and consequently happens more than it should. I also struggle both with depression and to believe myself capable of achieving my goals and dreams. I also feel like the problem when things go wrong. I'm different than other types because I'm I really and truly want to make everything I touch more beautiful and more true and honest. I'm different because I can't get over the idea that just about everything is way more important and meaning laden than we tend to give them credit for. I think that, uh, that does a good, uh, a more beautiful job of sort of summing up a lot of the things that we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. And I want to draw attention back to this sort of, underlying sadness there's there's a sort of melancholic idealism in in most fours that is sad about the fact that other people don't perceive the complexity of the world the way that Mm -hmm. they do and also that they don't know that their place in it Mm -hmm. almost like they're they're missing something that lets other people 
enjoy their lives. Yes. I would add as well, the sad quality there. I don't know about most fours, but I would say a lot of fours don't. I mean, it it depends on what emotions you identify with as a four Mm -hmm. and which emotions you kind of heighten. But there's a lot of fours that don't identify with the sad Mm -hmm. emotion and say like, oh, no, I'm not being sad. I'm being authentic. I'm being true. Right. And fours are very serious with the world. We see the world as it's not like it's not a game necessarily, but it's something to be taken seriously. That's there's a lot of meaning. There's a lot of importance. There's a lot of significance. Mm -hmm. And so that can come across as really serious, really sad, really melancholy. But I don't know if all fours would say that that's what they are when describing what they are. So just if you're listening and you're like, I'm not sad, it's like that, that could be helpful. Thing I saw there, and again, it's how this is written, is that this is very inward focused and very insightful about their inner life and specifically when it comes to distinguishing themselves from others. And that awareness of difference is just all over a lot of the language. And it's wrapped up in this brilliant quality of writing. And again, that's kind of the artistic element, the set-apartedness, and the inward focus. Those all just shine in that quote, I think. Also, I noticed there was, in this quote and a previous quote, they acknowledged the idea of being sensitive Mm -hmm. in all forms. So being Mm. sensitive like being sensitive to criticism, being sensitive to might even be like neurodivergent, being sensitive to noise and sound and like messes, being sensitive to everything in a way. And that might also contribute to the high highs and low lows, being really sensitive to things. Right. Well, if these qualities uh, popped for you, write down some of those, some of that language and write down four for something to, to look at in the future. Well, that brings us to the fives. Uh, what's your first quote for fives there, Cambry? So this five says, the question is what it's like to be a five. Um, they say, intrusive is how I see the world. I struggle with not getting enough quiet, focused alone time. I feel that I am different from others because I have a really broad perspective. I have a very open mind to theories and the unknown. Exploring that excites me. I also can spend hours upon hours researching and reading about things that interest me. I like getting lost in subjects that intrigue me. I shine bright when I talk about things I am passionate about. I avoid small talk and would love to feel comfortable being the quiet introvert that I am. I feel drained when I have to be on or feel that I need to push myself outward into the world to be accepted. A lot of focus here on sort of um, information and data and uh, like we heard the word research and uh, ideas and theory and theory and, and fives will be very interested in how things work and, and wanting to know not just how they work, but how they were developed, why were they, they were developed that way and the backstory of the people who developed them and, <laughs> and, and just getting really into why things work and why they work the way that they work. Lots of rabbit holes. Yeah. Language I heard here was up front was intrusive hmm. and it had to do with their energy. And this might be a 
telltale sign for fives is fives often express having a limited amount of energy and that they are aware of that energy. And so intrusions take energy, sap energy to what they already know is just a limited amount. Yeah, and not necessarily I, low energy, but a a a a finite amount. Mm-hmm. Once it's gone, well, and not wanting to spend it on things that they don't deem worthy or things that they haven't processed mm-hmm. yet. Perfect. What's the what's your second quote? Okay, this five says, "I see the world like I am watching from outside. I struggle to make others understand me, also because I don't want them to." Everybody is different from one another. I shine when people want to listen to me to learn something new or to see my perspective on things. I want to study and discover more than anything and avoid social events. Yeah, it's the the language of an observer. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm picturing uh, Jane Goodall and 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 the work of unobtrusively learning everything that she can about essentially a, an entire culture, uh, a, a whole group of something that she's not a part of and, and observing it from the outside. And, and that's often where, where fives find the most comfort is, is being an observer, an unattached observer of the world around them. Unattached is a good word there. It was again, the case that I heard in that phrase, a lot of talk about their energy level and what was going to take from them. And they were very aware of energy sucks. Mm -hmm. I also really thought it was interesting. The quote, I struggle to make others understand me also because I don't want them to Mm -hmm. this separation between self and others and wanting to keep your private life private. Right. And not wanting to be too vulnerable and not wanting to be seen in a way that you don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Not wanting to give of yourself. Not wanting to share things about yourself. Perfect. Last quote on fives. This five says, the world is overwhelming 90% of the time. So retreating and withdrawing feels like the only way to survive sometimes. I'm always observing. The positives of this is that I can catch what others may not catch. For me personally, I notice beauty and grace, like the butterfly hovering over wildflowers at the park when my companions are talking or walking fast. I also notice patterns easily. It's hard to participate or share what I notice sometimes because others don't always give the same amount of attention to what I point out, which can make it feel like they don't care or it doesn't matter. So sometimes I conserve my energy by not saying anything. I see most everything, but I tend to focus on the negative or bad. I point out flaws and mistakes and can see them easily, but have a hard time seeing all the good to balance this out. I don't like when people call me pessimistic as I see myself more as a realist who just sees the world for what it is. Yeah, a couple of things I want to point out there. The um, first one being the, the word withdrawing. We talked about that a little bit with the fours, where the fours are sort of withdrawing for the sake of... Um, introspection. Yeah, Withdrawing for the sake of introspection and the fives are withdrawing for the sake of observation mm-hmm. of the world around them. And, and like this person said, they, they see everything. And, and as great observers, fives are so often 
uh, I said unattached earlier, they're unattached to the results of their observations. They, they don't have a horse in the game. They're just presenting the information. And so, so sometimes people will see this presentation as a sort of pessimistic or, or being a downer. Like, like why, why do you have to look at things so negatively? And, and realistically, they are looking at things from a perspective that, that is not tied to the outcome. They're, they're just unbiased. they're they're just presenting the data basically. Yeah, what I heard there also was the withdrawal is partially observation. It's also this person described the world as overwhelming, and part of the withdrawal there is it's again back to energy. But there's also an, a fear that some fives have, and taking a big step back can be a place of security. And it's security through okay, if I'm taking a step back, I can look at the world, understand the world. And in those spaces, I feel a little bit more safe. I also noticed they were describing almost being distracted from the social sphere and focusing on something else while conversation was happening. Yeah. And that tends to happen a lot with fives as well, where they, since they observe everything, they can be easily distracted, but they can also maybe focus on things that don't cause them to spend as much energy. Mm -hmm. Interacting with people takes a lot of energy. Watching a butterfly does not. Right. It's good. Well, if that language and that way of looking at the world stood out to you, uh, mark down five. Check out the, our other work on fives. And we're going to move to the sixes. Uh, what's your first quote for the sixes? So what is it like to be a six? This six says, confusing. I feel like people don't understand my need to talk through scenarios. I want to be prepared for everything. I find it hard to relax and give others my time. I like being alone. I also err on the side of opposition in a discussion. My thoughts are facts. My emotions either aren't trustworthy or are set in stone. I am often unaware of how blunt I can be. I hardly censor myself. I'm always searching for someone to make a connection, but won't reach out first. It's complicated is my go-to phrase. I wish I could just let go sometimes and be spontaneous. There's a lot there. That's a <laughs> yeah. great quote. Yeah, there's a lot there, and it's all gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that stood out to me was... The fact that sixes sort of put themselves out into the world in a way that needs someone else to say what you're thinking is okay. Yeah. Uh, This person described what we call verbal processing. And other types do this as well, but sixes are are particularly known for for verbal processing. And it's needing to say my thoughts out loud so that someone else can tell me if I'm thinking correctly or not. Yeah, getting validation for your fears or at least making your anxieties known can be very helpful for sixes as well. In the there was a phrase here that this person errs on the side of opposition, which is a great way of describing how sixes often come to the world. Let's quickly elevate here's the things that may go wrong and we need to articulate that to to everybody so that it's known Mm because sixes clearly care about others and want themselves to feel safe in the world and wanting to play devil's advocate in a way as well and saying well that might not be 
like the, how they said, like, it's complicated is my go-to phrase, <laughs> that not everything is simple and that there's always another side to things. Very hallmark of six. Mm. Excellent. What's your second okay. six quote? This six says, I see the world as scary and judgmental. I'm often paranoid, looking for problems where there aren't any, and incredibly distrustful of others. Knowing these are huge weaknesses of mine, I've been doing my best to work through them. When I do trust someone, I'm attached forever and place more of myself in their hands than is probably healthy. When I give trust away, I expect honesty, loyalty, and trust in return. Yeah, these are great quotes for sixes. The um, words that stood out to me there are uh, scary and distrustful. The world is is full of dangers, and sixes are aware of those dangers, often to a fault, and 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 see the ways that things can go wrong. And and the world is a scary place, and sixes are in tune with that, and 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 they're distrustful that things are going to work out. There are other types that are like, nah, it's a, it's going to be fine, but sixes don't really have that in them innately it's it's what things are going to go wrong and we need to be thinking about that and we need to be prepared for how those things are going to go wrong. yes being prepared specifically yeah that's where the devil's advocacy comes in it's these might go wrong but it's so that we can do the the necessary preparations now so let's right. voice the potential problems and then do our do our work well, and it's talking through the scenarios to make sure that whatever happens, whether it's good or bad, you'll always be ready and you already know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Last quote for the sixes. Okay. This person says, I want to trust people to feel safe. Doubting that trust makes me feel more safe as if I'm in control of my allegiance. I swing between bold confidence and assurance to uncertain doubt and shyness. My outlook is fairly bleak. I would much rather be pleasantly surprised than disappointed. It is difficult for me to let go of my past. The future is unknown and thus dangerous and scary. I think this quote, this person highlights uh, an aspect of sickness that is sort of complicated to describe. And it's basically like it, it presents as almost opposite of that sort of fearful distrusting behavior and it's it's pushing out against that fear in a way that uh sort of says i'll show you how unafraid i am mm-hmm. so there's there there are a lot of times in sixes lives where they exhibit that that sort of that that distrust that devil's advocate all of the things that we've already talked about and then there are, are other times in sixes lives where they push out against against that and almost look like a different kind of type but it still is rooted in that 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 the world is scary kind of motivation it's just the reaction against it is to push mm-hmm. and and sort of say i am not afraid i'll show you how not afraid i am is a sort of pithy way to say that and one of the hallmarks of 6 is that sixes are walking contradictions and often oscillate between extremes. Mm -hmm. So oscillating between obedient and rebellious or fitting in with the crowd and belonging and being apart and not fitting in Mm -hmm. all of the opposites. Sixes will generally 
oscillate between the two. Right. Uh, putting their entire trust into someone else mm -hmm. and also constantly questioning that person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was the flip side of the thing I wanted to say that this might be the hallmark of a six is a very potent doubt of themselves. Mm, yep. Um, the uh, another hallmark is is what we've said before. The devil's advocate of of listing problems that may go wrong is very common. But the doubting of self can be just one of those things. that's just that that's that's a sign you might be a six if. Bang. So on your piece of paper, write down six if it hits you. And again, look for, for our next typing podcast where we just go through all the details of sixes if some of these stood out to you. We're going to move to the sevens. What's it like to be a seven, Camry? This seven says, it's great to be a seven. I see the world through a kaleidoscope lens. Everything is colorful, bright, and my mind jumps from piece to piece. I love planning ahead and I love thinking ahead several months and envisioning my life then. When I'm healthy, I have boundless energy, and I feel like I can conquer the world. I am grounded and very type A slash choleric because of it. I don't struggle with dealing with my tough emotions or working through them, but I absolutely struggle when I dwell on them, which can lead to me spiraling a little bit. As a seven with depression and ADHD, as well as a chronic illness, life can be pretty sucky sometimes. But like many sevens, I'm able to look on the bright side and channel my pain into action on most days. On others, I don't do anything. I'm at my best when I'm traveling, adventuring, creating, or storytelling. This is why it's so easy to tell if you're a seven versus other types. It's like such a bright contrast. <laughs> right. In my mind, at least yeah. for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, look on the bright side is a great phrase for a seven. There's um, This person is describing what for a many other types would be uh, tremendously difficult, probably depressive issues in their lives. And, and they move forward regardless of that. Uh, there's there's life to be had and and experiences and and joys to be experienced to to be held on to and these hard things are not going to hold me back from that yeah i heard lots of jumping ahead there's future planning and there's things that we're going to do uh, on my calendar here in you know a month or 5 months from now it's very optimistic and when there's a turn towards talking about this person's depression and that struggle, it's actually reframed mm -hmm. in almost a positive, joyful kind of spirit. Mm -hmm. um, well, let me tell you about my depression. <laughs> and <laughs> It's fine. It's fine that I'm depressed. And it's, again, how things are said by each of these types. You can yeah. hear how the, the type itself, the motive is coming out in the very language that's being used. And here it's that that the world colored with joy and potential and optimism and excitement. Their whole language is like jumpy and excited and mm. colorful, bright invites you into it. It does. Yeah. yeah. That might be a, one of the signs you might be a seven, the inviting others into the adventure can, yeah. can be one of those things. It's very common for sevens. Here's the adventure I'm going on. I want to take some folks with me. Uh, what's your second quote for what it's like being a seven? Okay, this seven says, 
I see the world like a playground and also something to always have fun in and enjoy. I always see everything as grass is greener on the other side and always something to dream and laugh about. I never take things serious. I am always looking for something to occupy my time and mind, but sometimes that can lead to bad decisions made on a whim. I am the friend who is coming up with the plans, throwing the parties, and providing the alcohol, though I fail to plan things all the way through. I want to focus on the phrase, occupy my time and mind, and I almost want to omit the word time because uh, a big focus for sevens is about filling their mind, their their thought life with with good things, with opportunities, with what's coming next, with fun and exciting and, and enjoyable things to think about so that they don't get stuck in any of the bad things. And it's fine to think about, I mean, if you have to, it's fine to think about the bad things sometimes, but it's better to think about good things. And so they're looking for more ways to occupy their mind with good things. What I heard there was an inability to finish a project, which is also a common trait of sevens, because they got into the project because it was fun. It was something to do. And then it got kind of boring. And I felt a little stuck. And I moved on to the next thing. And that wasn't explicitly stated, but there was a phrase there that kind of had that element to it. And that's another one of those telltale signs First, you might be a seven. If you got into the project, not for it to finish the project, you got in because this was going to be a great time until something better came along. Yep. Uh, last seven quote. Okay, so I have a good short one. So I might kind of combine two quotes to give more beef. So the short one says, my core motivation is to be content. I always feel restless, and I think if I check off all of my to-do list, I'll finally find that contentment. And the other person says, I am the definition of a dreamer. I'm so passionate about my dreams, it almost takes over everything. The problem is I have a hard time knowing how to get from point A to point B and make those dreams come true. Sometimes it actually makes me very depressed because I don't think I have what it takes. I think my hyperfixation and passion is a good thing and sets me apart, but it also becomes too much sometimes, especially when I stop valuing my inner feelings. I think there's two really important things of note here, and and one of them sort of highlighted by that that first quote is the the idea that the grass is always greener means that you're never satisfied. Yes. With yeah. this, if if the grass is always greener on the other side of the street, then you're never satisfied where you're at because the grass is always on the other side. <laughs> so so there's a sense of of never really being truly satisfied in a lot of sevens. And then the, the second point there uh, highlighted by that second quote is there, there's an intensity described with a lot of sevens. And so we talked about this with the fours as well. If you've ever been told that you're too much, you might be a four. If you've ever been told you're too much, you also might be a seven. Mm-hmm. A big difference there is that fours are much more focused on the whole spectrum of everything in the world, whereas sevens are, are drawn to excitement, goodness, fullness, um, bigger and better things. It's almost like sevens are, are lacking the lower half of the emotional spectrum. Well, maybe not lacking them, but not focusing on them. Yeah. 
that's avoiding a better way them. to say that. Yep. Lots of energy going in the opposite direction from anything dark emotion related. Thank you very yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, idealistic dreaming is what I heard there, and that likewise can be true of many sevens, that posture of mind. Uh, lots of mental. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this with sevens. A lot of the world is being processed through their minds. And that, so that dreaming side, idealistic sign, what's the next thing I can do? Scheming mm-hmm. and, and such. Lots of thoughts and planning. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Boom. Excellent. We'll write down seven if that hits you. Uh, we're going to move to the eights. Hey, Cambry, what's it like to be an eight? This eight says, I see the world in those who can and those who can't. I strive to help the weak and I want to. However, if someone causes their own problems, I don't want to help with that. I very much am a strong leader, very assertive and blunt. I do struggle with saying things that tend to be offensive, but I'm tired of being the one who has to filter everything when others might need to take the time to understand me. More than anything, I want to be in control. However... As a believer, I am not in control, and I'm learning to put my control in his much more capable hands. I want more than anything for people to understand that I'm not a bitch. I'm honest. I avoid lies and small talk. Yeah, a lot of good stuff there. Um, the, I am struck by the the language that emphasizes power. Uh, so there is there is language about strength and weakness, and and there's there's a big focus on who has the power and and for a lot of eights i have a considerable amount of strength and power and i am looking at who has the power around me and how they're using it and i'll use my power to make sure that other people aren't being abused that's why i hear as well uh lots of language of control there either desirous of control I didn't hear anything about not being controlled, but that will be a big thing for eights is yes. the desire to not be controlled. And obviously this was written by a woman. Well, I assume it was written by a woman because she says that she's not a bitch. And that is also for perhaps a telltale sign for female eights that other people interpret their aggressive posture and how they are in the world as being bitches when actually they are coming to the world oftentimes in in very healthy, normal ways for their type. Mm -hmm. I also, I'm really drawn to the part where she says, I struggle with saying things that are offensive, but I'm tired of being the one who has to filter everything. Mm -hmm. That like maybe other people just need to take some time and understand my perspective too. And that I don't need to like water myself down for them. Um, It's very, very eight. Yeah, much like, much like fours, eights are very interested in the truth, uh, mm-hmm. in authenticity. Yes. And, and when you water down your language, you're, you're watering down the truth. When you're watering down your personality, right. like you're watering down you. And then if people love you, if it's a watered down you, then it's not the real you that they love, mm-hmm. which isn't authentic. And if it's not authentic, you don't want it. Excellent. What's your second quote? Okay. This eight says, Opportunity, never satisfied, always improving, never busy enough, never turn down helping others, even if I'm already overwhelmed. But I'll get it done and well. 
I am my own best friend, though I also have friends. I love my family and friends fiercely, but it may not always look that way because I'm so independent. I view the world as a story for me to write, narrate, and star in, but it also overlaps with other stories. It's hard for me to not step into controlling their stories too, especially if they're very important to me, husband, kids, etc. I love being alone, making my own way, being a leader. I struggle when others depend on me in a suffocating way or when I feel trapped. I'm constantly struggling with anger, it seems. It just wells up inside me so quickly and often. It's always just been there at the surface from as young as I can remember. This is a really big quote that covers a lot of aspects of eightness. And the thing, the one thing that stood out to me in the whole quote was the, you might say, efficiency of language. There's not a reason to write a whole sentence when one word will do exactly what you need it to do. And eights are focused on, the part of their focus is on getting things done quickly, efficiently, and and moving forward. And doing well. Yeah. A couple things that hit me is the, the strong emphasis on anger being a prominent feeling that can be true of other types, but that seemed to color a lot of the language here. Even love when this person said they loved fiercely their family, their small crew. Uh, that's also true of eights. It seems like eights have a smaller crew of folks in their life who they really have deep affection for and can be vulnerable toward. And then here's just that telltale thing. And I've heard it only out of eights in recent years uh, is the use of the word overwhelmed comes up in eights, interestingly enough, when describing the thing they're either trying to avoid or that place where things kind of tip for them. They don't have the strength that in this certain moment and that is experienced as being overwhelmed. And just, just an interesting thing that I just routinely am hearing in the in the mouth of eights. Got a last quote? Yes. Okay, so this quote is pretty long, but it's also very vulnerable for an eight. And I like to honor when eights are being vulnerable because they don't always tend to let you in to their inner life. Um, so I really love the way that this is worded. This eight says, at first I hated finding out I was an eight. It helped me to understand why I struggled so much throughout my life being misunderstood and disliked. I thought being an eight meant I had a manly personality, so I was ashamed to be such a force. I tried to tame myself and tone it all down. People constantly think I'm upset when I'm just being passionate. I felt I had to constantly explain myself. Around 35 years old, I cut that out. Now I do whatever, and if you're offended, that's your problem, not mine. I'm a leader, protector, I'm extremely sensitive, but direct, expressive, charismatic, introspective, and very decisive. People are either drawn to me or repelled, and I've learned not to take that personally anymore. I do struggle with finding a man who can match my energy and intensity. I only have like three really close friends because people often take advantage of my loyalty and reliability. I take body autonomy and injustice very seriously. I'm the friend you call at 2 a.m. when you need a ride. I'm also the life of the party and at the same time a homebody. There's no one like me. I don't know that there's much to add to that. That is an it's a great quote. description. Yeah. Yeah. Again, things that stood out to me were the utility of language, just very direct, 
there, especially at the end, it was just bang, 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 this is who I am. The image that coming to a real realization that some things might be somebody else's problem and then just saying, that's your problem, not mine, is showing that there's no weakness in this person. The weakness is over there. It's your weakness. And I'm going to tell you Ooh, it's your weakness. Yeah. And again, the person mentioned that they had three close friends, which goes back to that, that image that oftentimes eights just have their close inner circle where they can experience more vulnerability. Well, I feel like the fear kind of comes out there a little bit where they don't want to be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And they noted that they were noticing being taken advantage of, that their loyalty and their reliability was being taken advantage of. And that is one of the core fears of eights is that they don't want others to be controlling them. They don't want others to take advantage. And so leaning out of that, leaning away from that and saying, well, then maybe I'll just have a few friends. And that solves the problem. It's effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. I also think all of these quotes and, and a lot of what we talked about, um, one thing that, that we haven't said out loud is, is the sort of confrontational nature of eights, that they will put it out there and we're going to deal with this now and they are fine with that energy. And it's oftentimes the case that they don't understand why other people aren't okay with that energy. Yes. So, so they're, they're, they're putting it out there. And it, if, if you were the type of person that is, would rather deal with this right now, regardless of how hard it's going to be, then this might be the thing that you want to mark down. Perfect. Yeah. If, if the language here describes how you experience the world and are in the world, obviously take the next step and listen to our podcast on eights coming up. Uh, the last type is type nine and, uh, Camry, what's it like to be a nine? This nine says, I'm exhausted by my own indecision. I honestly think that's why nines have the napping trope is because we're all so damn tired of constantly thinking about every side and outcome of a decision before we even make it, then get overwhelmed by the options. Yeah, we talked about a limited amount of energy with <laughs> fives. And uh, nines actually have the least amount of energy. Uh, so, so they get described as uh, really tired all the time. They, they like taking naps. But, but really, it's, it's about their energy is spent so much on, on making sure that they maintain sort of boundaries with the outside world and also with the things that are inside them like that, that this person mentioned seeing both sides and, and, and looking at when, when you see all sides of, of things, you're just tired all the time because it takes a lot of energy. I liked the first words where I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't have anything to add. That was perfect. Okay. What's your second nine quote? This nine says, I see the world as filled with a lot of capable slash normal people, and I see myself as not one of them. I have low self-confidence and don't believe I matter, but I believe I shine through my gentleness, true love of nature and animals, and through building others up. I want authentic connection and peace more than anything. 
If there is conflict or disconnect or someone is being hurt or neglected, I want to immediately find a way to help find common ground or a way to make sure that person feels seen and valued. I think of others' perspectives automatically and constantly, and it can be quite exhausting. I avoid hurting others' feelings, but I will say tough things if I feel it's necessary to find true connection or growth. Again, the, the, uh, a focus on the energy there. Uh, but also, um, I, I, I like the word peace, uh, the mentioning of, of nature and animals, and, and nines have this, this desire for, uh, for peacefulness, for, for harmony, uh, for things to be calm and serene. And, and they're looking for that space and they're looking to create that space around them. This is part of where that exhaustion comes from is, is trying to create peace, especially in a world that's filled with chaos. Yeah. That was complimented with the phrase, I want connection, which I think that's a good thing to add to oftentimes nines are called the peacemaker, but the fear of losing connection is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's displayed in one of the first lines there, which was, I don't believe my presence matters. And that is a posture of not being included or fearing not being included. It's, it's a desire to be connected to, to all the other things. Yeah, when you see everything else so clearly, when you see everyone else's side of things, you sort of lose sight of yourself a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm. Almost like the two of I'm always helping other people, so I'm not looking at my own needs. Mm-hmm. It's the I'm always looking at other people's perspective, so I'm not necessarily looking at my perspective. Yeah. Well, that's a great way of phrase that. Bang. What's the last quote for nines? Um, I actually, before going on to the next quote, I do want to mention that nines often get this trope of not, and we'll see it in the next two quotes, of not wanting conflict, not wanting arguments and not speaking out for themselves. But this nine mentions something that's really notable that they will say tough things if they feel it's necessary to find the connection or growth, Mm -hmm. or if it's necessary to mend the conflict, they'll say what's on their mind. They'll speak their truth. They will speak up for themselves if it will mend the conflict, if it's right for the connection, if it's going to help. So I think that that's very noteworthy there. Okay, so there are a couple quotes, and since nines don't feel like they matter and they don't get heard, I'm going to do two quotes here for the last one quote. (laughs) Um, They also go really well together. So the first nine says, the slightest conflict, negative feeling, or misunderstanding makes me physically sick. I do normally have an opinion when it comes to important things, but I rarely share it with someone if I know they disagree and have an intense personality, unless they ask me directly. Small things like where to eat, how to spend the day, what to watch, I genuinely don't care. That's in caps lock. I feel extra pressure when forced to pick these things because I want everyone to like the choice. So this next quote goes along with it, says... I see the world full of conflicting people who refuse to attempt to see things any other way, and that's hard. But I see the little things where humans are good to each other, and that makes me happy. I see things with more potential good than many people I know. Conflict, tension, or passive aggressiveness being present around me makes me want to fall through the ground 
into the center of the earth, and I just want to be on good terms with everyone. If apologizing, even when it's not my fault, will achieve that, I'll do it. I'm good at listening and being understanding of people from many backgrounds or perspectives. The thing that stood out to me in in both of those quotes is sort of a the physical nature of the sense of conflict that nines feel it in their body in a way that that is really difficult to explain and it's part of the exhaustion but it's also like like a lot of nines describe literally feeling ill nauseous when conflict is around them be and and it has to do with that sense of of losing connection it's not just that they are losing connection from someone else but it's that other people might be losing connection when you can see both sides of an argument and you can see the ways that they're missing each other then knowing that that if they would just stop fighting and and talk about the things that they might have in common and and try to see in each other's shoes that that conflict might actually resolve itself, that there there's a physical reaction to that. A very intense physical reaction from yeah. the sound of it. Yeah. You'll notice that the solution here of withdrawing to the center of the earth <laughs> is also a very physical solution. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's not, I'm just going to go in the other room. It's, it's, uh-huh. And for a lot of nines... The solution that they see, the the way that they see to sort of solve this problem of conflict is to be on good terms with everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily real. And it's not necessarily like it it's not something that that is actually attainable, but they nines will prefer getting along to being true or or even often standing up for nine struggle with doing things that are necessary oftentimes because they would rather everyone get along they they settle for calm when they're really looking for that that like true connection which can be self-sabotaging as well because if you're not sharing your opinion even if you disagree with what is said the connection might not be very deep because they might be making a connection with your disagreement when you agree or vice versa. Right. Which is, it's not the authentic you. Right. It's not deep, but it is easy. Right. Yes. And it's peaceful. Right. Well, that's what we got for the nines. Do write down nine if that language stood out to you about how you're in the world. And that's what we got. Here's how this is going to work. Um, our podcast is going to release episodes in the coming weeks, or they may already be up if you're listening to this later down the timeline, in which we highlight just the basics of, of each of these types and speak to, to you in terms of, you know, if you're searching for your number, this is just some more information and insights into the types that stood out to you most. So do look at your paper, what numbers stood out to you most. Go find those podcasts, which are following this one. And um, it's going to be probably the best thing that we think this is a great way to highlight and expose your type. Much better than those crappy tests you'll find online, which are always... (laughs) So much better, so much better. Half the time wrong. Yes, they are. They might get you in the ballpark, but you you might have some trouble finding your actual seat. Yeah. 
Once you get into this, maybe it was the case that one of these types actually just hit you and you just know for right now, nope, that's my type. Take a look at our catalog of podcasts and uh, and obviously do take a look at the great work by Cambry Ross, which is on Instagram. She has fantastic artwork up that is going much further and deeper into each of the types and the hearts of the types and elevating the inner lives of the types and it can be super helpful and instructive. Um, so that's what I got. Cambry, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Hey, same. It's a pleasure with you guys. Thanks for having me. TJ, you got anything else? I got nothing, man. It's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. She's Cambry Ross. She is inimitable. And I am Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Go be who you are, because that's where the gold is. Long morning will come burning. <laughs>